Well, good morning. It is so good to see you. It's so good to be here. We're thankful that our crowds continue to, to rise. Our numbers continue to rise. We hope that everyone will be uh, as comfortable as they can or want to be or as safe as they can and want to be among everything that's going on. But we are thankful to be able to worship together. We're grateful that you are here. We're especially grateful to our visitors that are with us this day. We're thankful that you are with us. I hope that we have been an encouragement with the way that we have worshipped so far, and we look forward to our lesson here in the next few moments. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God's grace is something sweet that is for something wretched. As John Newton penned these words almost 250 years ago, a song that has become so beloved for such wonderful words as we consider such a powerful subject. There's tremendous teaching, there's a tremendous emphasis in the New Testament upon the fact that man's salvation is the result of heaven's grace. As we begin this morning, if I could give you a few notes and ask for a small favor, I'm going to ask as we begin this morning that if you are here, that you would please come back next week. Oftentimes when we talk about grace, we're sometimes accused of saying grace, but... Grace is great, but we need to remember other things. What I'd like for us to do is consider this morning just simply God's wonderful grace. And then move on from there next week to a lesson that will connect that is just as important. But as we try to emphasize grace this morning, we'll leave that for another time. It's hard to believe that it's already the month of May. Uh, as we think about the sermons for the month of May, I'll just go ahead and let you know now that we're going to be gone a couple of those Sundays. The attendance always rises when the preacher leaves. So the third Sunday in May, we will be attending uh, services at the Estes Church of Christ out in West Tennessee where I grew up. I'm very, very thankful that they asked me to come back and speak at their homecoming service, which will be the third Sunday in May. And so we'll be gone that Sunday as we'll go back there and visit with those good folks and, and preach a few lessons there that day. The fourth Sunday in May, we're going to be taking our family vacation for the year and we'll miss you and we'll be gone. And so looking at the rest of the month, I thought, well, there's two sermons. I got two sermons left for this month. What can we talk about? And I've been promising you for a while that we we're going to come and talk about God's grace. It's important that we think about grace. It's important that we think about what else is connected to grace. But what I'd like for us to do this morning is to emphasize simply God's grace and ask you to do me a favor and come back. And of course, if you can't be back with us, you can always catch the, the service or the lesson online later. But we do want to talk about other things in connection with grace as well. I'll tell you up front as well that I do not claim to know it all. I often warn you, and I will today, that if someone says they have it all figured out or they have a, a new thought about God's grace or understanding, that usually is a warning sign. We should be cautious about that. I have not figured it all out. I don't have some kind of new found idea or way to explain grace. But I think it's important that as we study the Word of God, that we can learn a few things, and I hope to share a few with you this morning. As I said, I don't claim to know it all, and when I find great resources, I love to share them with you, things that I lean on. This is one book in particular, and I have a copy in my library, and I knew I wanted to bring it this morning, and I knew I'd leave it at home, and sure enough, we ran out the door, and I, I forgot it. But this is a, the copy of the book. It's by our brother Dan Winkler, who preaches in the Spring Hill area currently. And you can find it. He has a website, uh, danwinkler.org, but he has a lot of different materials. His book on grace is entitled Grace Simply Incredible, which it is. And it's also incredibly simple. 
Not only that, but we try to remind you as we go along that our elders graciously pay for us to have a subscription to PTP 365. If you go there and just search for the word grace, you'll find many lessons, but including one that's based off this book by Brother Dan. We're going to talk about a few of the things in that lesson this morning, but if you're looking for information, this is a great place to go in looking at Brother Winkler's book. Part of the reason for a sermon like this, the reason a sermon like this is necessary, is because perhaps you have heard a person say, and often it's a young person sometimes who says, well, you know, I never heard any sermons about grace growing up. Or we say, well, you know, we don't talk about grace enough sometimes. Or it wasn't talked about much. Now, if you're like me, I can think back to a time when I was a young person that I probably wasn't listening like I should all the time, and, and maybe I just missed that lesson on grace. And in some cases, that may be true. Maybe where you attended or for a time, you can look back and say, well, you know, I, there was a good portion of time where we never talked about grace. But I'm afraid that it's very common that talking this way, saying things like that, we don't emphasize grace enough, we don't talk about grace enough, becomes a cop-out for people. We want to sometimes expand our views on grace or sometimes as much as we love someone, we want to help them. We want to make them feel better, so we talk about grace, and we want to make them feel better, and sometimes, unfortunately, that's a person who is still in sin. And so we have to be careful as we think about grace, but we do want to emphasize how important the grace of God is. Over the years, there have been a lot of ways to describe grace. We oftentimes talk about justice, mercy, and grace. Some people say that justice is getting what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But then grace is getting what you do not deserve. Let me, let me take it a little further. We're, I have several illustrations this morning. I've got one that we're going to save for the end of the lesson. But one other one in regards to justice, mercy, and grace. What about a speeding ticket? I want to ask for a show of hands who all has gotten a speeding ticket. But most of us are familiar with the way that that interaction works, right? You're going too fast. The cop pulls you over. You know you're going too fast. And he says, did you know you're, you're going over the speed limit? Yes, I, I knew I was just in a hurry or, or whatever, and I just did. Justice is that policeman writing you a ticket. You're getting what you deserve. We then describe mercy in saying that the policeman comes back and says, you knew what you were doing, you knew you were going over the limit, but I'm going to give you just a warning. You're not getting the ticket that you deserve, so you're getting mercy in a sense, and that's what mercy is, to, to not get, not getting what you deserve. But grace, and of course this concept would be foreign to us, especially in interaction with a policeman in that way, but, but some would say grace might be getting pulled over, knowing you're going too fast, and the policeman saying, I'm not going to write you a ticket, but in fact, I'm going to give you $100. Here's $100 you could take and take your family out to eat. Because that, see, that would be getting what you do not deserve. And again, I understand the, the difference there in that specific illustration, there is one more that I'd like for us to come back to, but we will save that. But let's begin by just defining grace. Let's just go ahead and put out the usual definition. If you have your notes in front of you from the bulletin, that's the way that it's described. I'd be willing to say more often than not that if you've heard a sermon on grace, if you've heard the preacher talk about grace, he usually says that grace is unmerited favor. And listen, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, all right? I've not listened to all of Bill's old lessons, but there's a, a good chance that even Bill said up here from time to time, and I've said it before, grace is unmerited favor. That's true, and that's perfectly fine. But in connection, 
we think about it, that may not go very far. That may not go far enough as we try to truly understand the grace of God. And in connection with that, we're thinking about salvation, regards to salvation. Because sure, there are other uses of the word. We think about Luke chapter 2 in verse number 40. Jesus is growing. Jesus is a young person, a young man. And it says in the child, Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's not unmerited favor. That's not what that's saying in that particular verse. What about Colossians chapter 4 in verse number 6? You're familiar with that. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Yeah, that's not unmerited favor. I'm not seasoning my speech with unmerited favor. That's an allusion to the kindness that we should have towards one another. But then you come to passages like Titus chapter 3 and verse number 7. And Paul would write there that we are justified by his grace. That's in regards to salvation. That's the grace that we're usually talking about when we think about grace. It's certainly important. The word, the Greek word used in the original language is used somewhere between 130 and 160 times. That word and its derivatives when you look at the different ways that it's used. So it's certainly important when it comes to the word of God. But I would like for us to take it a step further this morning. Unmerited favor is perfectly fine in a sense. But you can say that to someone and they aren't any closer to understanding the concept of God's grace. And our brother Dan Winkler says it perfectly in his book and and in that lesson. I'd like to share it with you as he calls it the recipe. The recipe for God's grace. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to stay there for several minutes to look at our next couple of points together. But Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the great passages in the New Testament that emphasizes God's grace. If you have your pen with you and you'd like to mark in your Bible, this would be a great time to do so. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. If you're marking, let's get into it here. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in Underline the word, if you want to, mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great, if you're underlining, underlined it, love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by, circle the word grace, if you would like to. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his, circle it, grace. In his, underline the word kindness, toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by, circle it, grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you were writing in your Bible, you may notice that you underlined three words, and then you circled the word grace three times. 
When we think about the recipe for God's grace, this passage is a great key as we realize that, first of all, God's grace involves mercy. The word translated mercy is more than to be sympathetic. To be sympathetic is to feel toward someone, but, but mercy is more than to feel toward someone. It is to feel with someone. In fact, it's very interesting that the Hebrew word, if we look over at the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated mercy carries with it this idea. Okay, this, go with me for a second, but this concept, if you will, this idea, the Hebrew word carries with it the idea of stepping into someone else's skin and experiencing life from their viewpoint. To trade places and to see life how you feel and then to act in that way. To make decisions based upon that. I feel what you are feeling. That's the idea of mercy. You see, grace is God feeling with us through the experiences of his son, Jesus. It also involves, as we underline secondly there in verse number seven, or excuse me, verse number four, God's love. It also, if mercy is God feeling with us, then let's think about love. If you're a Bible student or you heard lessons, again, I would be willing to say that Brother Bill's preached many lessons on love before, and you probably know that there are four words that are used in the Greek language, not always in the Bible. The first one being erao, or the sexual love, the idea that we get the word, our word erotic from. It's interesting, that word is not used in the Bible. It is a word for love, but it's not described. Love is not described in that sense in the word of God. The second word is storgeto, a love for one's family, a son for a mother or a mother for a son. We understand that kind of love. For us, we just say love. I love you, son, or I love you, mom. But in the Greek word, they use four words, and one of them was storgeto. The third word that we usually refer to is phileto, which is brotherly love or a love between dear friends. And we usually say that is Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love, phileo. And then we're very familiar with the last, the agapato or the, the word agape is the one that we usually say. A love that desires, listen to it very carefully, a love that desires what is best for the one that is loved. We know that in our world today, the, the world vastly misuses the word love. Many people will accept sinful behavior because they love their children or they love someone in their family. But the agapo, agape love, agapato love that the Bible talks about is desiring what is best for someone. Not what they want, not what I think they want or need, but what God says. In Ephesians chapter 2 here in verse number 4, we read about the great love, agapato, with which God loves us. The agape there. Both times in this same verse, the word that is used is the one that means to desire what is best for the one that is loved. God's grace involves mercy. God feeling with us. Love, God feeling for us, wanting what is for our best. And then thirdly, as we notice here, and you possibly underlined in your Bible from verse number seven, kindness. The word here has the same root word as the word used in Romans chapter two and verse number four, that the goodness or the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It is the goodness of God that is extended to mankind. So God's grace, according to this recipe, 
which I think helps us begin to understand God's grace, is God feeling with me, mercy, God feeling for me, wanting what is for my best, love, and God's feelings extended toward me, which is kindness. Now, there are some other things that we can learn about grace, especially in relation to ourselves and our relationship with God, our salvation. And they're found here in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you still have your Bible open, that's what we're going to talk about for just a few moments. As we think about God's grace, and as Paul would say here, we are, by grace you have been saved. Twice. At the end of verse number 5, and again there in verse number 8. By grace... You have been saved. If we're talking about our salvation and trying to understand the work of God's grace, let's talk about a few things from this particular passage. Number one, let's talk about the past. The past says we were dead in sin. We read this whole passage, but if you go back to verses 1 through 3, we notice that we were dead in sin. Our lives were according to three different standards that he says right here in Ephesians chapter 2. By the world's standard, verse number two, in which you walk according to the course of this world. Our lives tells us according to three, our lives were according to three standards. Number one, by the world's standards. Number two, by Satan's standards. Notice there in verse number two, according to the prince of the power of the air. And also by man's standards. He says in verse three that we were disobedient, that we were selfish, And so, yes, we were dead in sin. Prior to receiving the gift of God, people live life according to the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we look around us and we see that. We see it in great groups. You just have to pull out your phone. You just have to pull up a computer. You have to turn on the TV. You have to walk around town and you can see people living by the flesh, by their own way. And yes, those who do that, prior to receiving this gift of God, grace, then they're lost. They're dead in sin. In fact, an accountable person actually earns the wrath of God through sin. One of the great pictures of the Bible is the idea of God's wrath. We've talked about this recently, orge, anger or wrath, that we are to be slow to anger. We talked about it Wednesday night for just a minute in our class. But God's anger is what we deserve, but we get God's grace. We begin to see that picture because the before tells us that in the past we were dead in sin. But the present is the fact that in verse number four, maybe in some ways one of the most powerful set of words in all the Bible, but God. Because if we were to say verses one through three and stop there, you are dead in sin. That is a terribly bleak picture. That's a movie that nobody wants to see. Because it ends with us dead, but God. You see, the present is the fact that but God, what a contrast. But God so loved the world, John chapter 3 and verse 16, that he sent his only begotten son. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. But God loved us first, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 19. The gift of grace is predicated upon the gift of Jesus. And Jesus is truly the gift that keeps on giving. He keeps on cleansing. His blood keeps on cleansing. He keeps on advocating for us. He keeps on serving as our high priest. And the great news is that but God 
saved us by grace. What what an awful picture to imagine being hopeless. And that's what verses 1 through 3 put us in. We are hopeless. The world is hopeless as long as it is in sin. But God saved us by grace. That's why we sing about amazing grace. That is why it is such a sweet sound to our ears. Because we know what we deserve, but we also know what we can receive. And it's not just that. We are saved by grace, but we think about after. And we're going to talk about this next week. And again, I'll ask you one more time to be sure and come back and and visit with us again and be here for our worship service. God be willing, we're going to take take this a little bit further. Because we don't just stop there. We don't just stop with God's grace because we have to be obedient. And after that, we realize that we are created for good works. Verse number 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are born again, as Jesus would talk about in John chapter 3. We're made new. And God's plan is that those people who would be saved by his grace, who are made new, who are born into God's family, those people would live transformed lives. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Transformed and changed lives by the grace of God. And how wonderful and amazing and sweet it is. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 is not the only place. If you have your Bible, let's go over to Titus chapter 2 for just a moment. As Paul would write to Titus there and we think about the encouragement that he is trying to give for him. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 is the other passage that we think of. When we talk about grace, Paul would write by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now again, for the sake of time and the sake of our lesson this morning, we're going to leave it right there. You're going to notice that verse 12 is a a continuation. It doesn't stop there. There's probably not a period in your Bible, but it continues on. But for the sake of our learning this morning, as we think about our relationship with God and His grace, and we think about what we can know about God's grace and what we can share with the world, it helps us to be reminded that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. That's the message that we want to share with the world. That's the encouraging news of God's grace for all men. Do you mean all men? We mean all men. Because God means all men. To the man who may be caught in adultery, struggling with something along those lines, the grace of God brings salvation to all men. To the young woman who might have struggled with life, maybe even gone through some things, having an abortion, something like those lines. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. To the one who is struggling with anger, which we talked about in our Bible class on Wednesday night. To the one who is struggling with addiction, be it drugs or alcohol or or sexual sins or, or pornography or whatever it is. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. To a murderer, even. We draw lines sometimes, but yes, The grace of God that brings about salvation has appeared to all men. To a young person who may have been sexually active or someone, again, in adultery or outside the bonds of marriage. Yes, God's grace is available to all men. To any and all men and women with breath in their lungs and blood pumping through their veins who are blessed to still have time on this earth. 
The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You know, we do want to draw lines sometimes. And yes, unfortunately, as humans, we look at some people and we think, I don't know if they're deserving of God's grace. But that's not what God says. Now, there is more, and we will come back to that. But yes, even you and me are recipients of God's saving grace. And that is so wonderful. That is so amazing. That is so sweet to consider. And finally, as we think about our points this morning, I think it is fair to say that our role in this, as Christians, as people who have been saved by grace through faith, is to know that we are to show and extend God's grace to others. Now, we cannot go beyond what God has said in his word. That's where I think we get uh, dangerous sometimes. That's where we start treading on dangerous ground. When we, we go further than God's word goes, go further than God is willing to go. But we can, and we should, and we must model God's grace in our relationships and with each other. How many times do people say, if that's what a Christian is like, I want nothing to do with it. That's usually a sign that someone is not modeling the grace of God. And I'll usually say when I, when I mention something like that, there are a lot of people who will use that as a cop-out. That's certainly true. They don't really have an interest in becoming a Christian, and they'll just blame people who maybe are weaker than others and struggle in sin. But so many people say, if that's what grace is like, if that's what a Christian looks like, I don't want any part of it. God's grace is so great. It is so wonderful. It is so amazing. And we must show that to others. If a person sees you and knows the relationship that you have with someone else here, even. Boy, are those people go to church services together. They're a member of the same congregation. They sure don't seem to ever show grace to one another. We have to model grace in our relationships. I'm going to ask you before you put your Bibles away, if you'd look at Romans chapter 3 for just a moment. One more great and powerful picture of grace here. Romans chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24. Because when we talk about God's grace and we talk about our position, one of the verses, and we did this a few weeks ago with James 1.19. If you were with us, we talked about re-examining James 1.19. And we simply said that sometimes we take a verse and we set it over here and we say, well, that, that's what it means. How many times have you heard, probably even me, say Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's true. We're all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. But have you ever read verse 24? <laughs> have you ever gone a step further? Because what does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's true. It's biblical. For being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Absolutely we do sin, but we are also justified by his grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I'm going to ask you if you would, you can put your notes up and your Bibles up. If you use the songbook, you're welcome to get that out. As we begin to conclude our lesson, as we said at the beginning, I think the thing about sermons on grace or talking about grace is I think we often just misunderstand God's grace. That's all. That's what the problem is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. He loves his love toward us when we don't deserve it. It is God showing his mercy, his love, and kindness. 
feeling with us and for us and toward us. And it is truly available to all. Amazing grace that was extended to a wretch like me. Without the grace of God, what could we do? Where could we go? And when we think about God's simple plan of salvation, before I give you that final illustration, let's talk for just a minute about God's simple plan of salvation. It is God's simple plan of salvation where we come in contact with the grace of God. A person must first hear the word. As we've talked about this morning, we have heard the word of God, but you must do more than just hear it. You know, we give our kids instructions sometimes and they hear us, but they don't actually do anything. We can hear the word of God, but we must also go forth and believe it. One who believes the word of God, that Jesus is the son of God, would then be willing to repent of sins. As we think about the sinful ways that we live in this life, we must repent. That is a change of mind that leads to a change of life. I'm not going to live in sin anymore. I'm going to change and live for God. Once you do that, you're then ready to confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus makes good, great statements such as that if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. And then you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. It's coming in contact with the water. It's not ma magical, but it is an expression. We are buried, immersed in the water just as Jesus was put into the grave. And just as he rose again, we rise again to walk in newness of life. His blood washes away our sins and we are added to the church by the Lord. And then we can begin to live faithfully. But as I look around this room, I know many of you have lived life just as I have for many years. And we know it's not always easy and we sometimes turn away. We're thankful for God's grace. We're thankful for God's patience. We still have time here to fix the sin that we have in our lives for Christians as you turn away from Christ and turn away from God, there's no need to be baptized time and time again. But God instituted his second law of pardon. And that we can repent of our sin, just as we read about in Acts chapter 8. We can pray for forgiveness and he is willing to do that. That we can again walk in the light. As John talks about in 1 John chapter 1. Continually walking in the light. If you're here this morning, you need to become a Christian or you need to come back to him. In just a moment, we're about to sing a song to encourage you. But I promise you one final illustration. And I heard one of my former professors, Brother David Powell, use this illustration one time. And the question is, do you like to collect seashells? Many of us do from time to time, whether you get up early and go along the beach. Maybe when not many people are there, maybe you go out at night as the sun is setting and you, you collect seashells. It's always been a favorite of mine. As we go to the beach, I'll try to find many, as many as I can and bring them back from that particular trip. It's one of my very favorite things to do, to go along the shore and collect seashells. But what do we do when we're collecting seashells? Often, we're looking for the perfect one, the one that is whole right? That's the ones that we want. And you keep coming across as you're walking and you're looking, you keep coming across those shells that are cracked, that are broken, that are flawed in some way or stained. And what do you do with them? Same thing I do. We toss them over our shoulder, put them back down, throw them back out into the ocean. But when you consider doing that, have you ever supposed, suppose God collected followers like we collect seashells. Suppose there was no room in God's kingdom for those who are broken or flawed or stained. I'm thankful that God doesn't collect followers the way we collect seashells. He does have room for us, each 
and every one of us. As we made a list a moment ago of those, some of those sinful ways in which we live. God has room for us by His grace. Amazing grace. How sweet for a wretch like me. Do you stand in need of God's grace this morning? If you do, would you come as we stand and as we sing?